If you have your Bible, be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 2. So remember, one of the things that we want to do is as you're organizing your notes uh, over a month in Faith Fellowship, you're going to have a couple of different things that you need to have space uh, in your, your notebook for. On the first and the third week is going to be me teaching from 1 Samuel. Remember that we're talking, we're kind of highlighting leadership, whether it's not so good or if it's amazing and things that we can learn from that. Remember now, we're not going to tailor the message where we're, we're making it say something that it's not going to say. We're going to say what it says. And just understand, you are looking at people's lives. You are looking at people's lives that have some authority, have some influence, just like you do. Okay, and so a lot of times we think that we can step outside of leadership because you're not nobody's calling you a leader. But if you are a parent, if you're an aunt, if you're an uncle, if you are a, a coworker that actually, you know, is a team lead or something, then you have you have this responsibility, right? And so we want to make sure that we carefully consider those things. And then on the second week, we're going to have Psalm Sunday. Okay. And, uh, and so you'll see Nathan Murray, you'll see just another host of preachers and young preachers that are coming up um, for that. And so you want to make sure you have a space for your notes for that. And then our, our Mighty Mouse powerhouse. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Pastor James. <laughs> Mighty Mouse powerhouse <laughs> is going to take us through Jonah and, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, well, you, if you miss any of that, please go back and listen to it. It's been incredible, incredible. And so that's how our weeks are going to go, okay, just so that we, you guys know and how you want to set up your notes. Um, later on, we'll kind of talk about maybe we need to get our notebooks back. Uh, I don't, we haven't kind of done that. I need to talk to Sean about that, just so we got the new notes, notebooks, so people can do that. But, okay, so for our purpose, we're looking at, why am I in 2 Samuel? That's not right. Um, so 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, for those of you that have not been with us, I'm sorry. I'm not going to review a ton. I just need to give you a little bit just to make sure you understand where we are because we're starting in the middle of this chapter uh, this morning. What we have seen up to this point, though, has been, you know, we've talked about that we have essentially uh, these three conflicts So of, of the whole book. So the first conflict you're going to see is between Hannah and Peninnah, which we've kind of, we're coming out of that. And then you're going to see a conflict that's really between Samuel and the priesthood. And so that's the stage that we're entering into uh, today. And then lastly, at 1 Samuel, we'll see the conflict between Saul and David. Okay. And so of these conflicts, this is where we do get this opportunity to kind of just see into these individuals' lives and what it is that God is teaching us. And what we learned from Hannah the last time was that Hannah's uh, uh, conflict has now turned to rejoicing. And remember, we said that her rejoicing does four things that we mentioned last time we were together. It acknowledges the character of God. It engages God for battle. It trusts in the power of God and it relies on the promises of God. Like this is how you win. If you want to know how to win, you want to see victory in your life, then you absolutely have to acknowledge the character of God. 
See, the difficulty is a lot of times when we're going through things, we tend to put the lens of our trouble on the Lord. And remember, James said that last in Jonah, just how damaging that can be and what that makes you do. Try to flee 2,500 miles away from <laughs> where you're supposed to be, you know? And so the other thing is, is you got to engage God in battle, guys. Man, I, I, how do you do that? By his word? By obedience to his word? Potentially by counsel from, from his leaders? You never want to be going through things by yourself. That's never, man, that, the devil loves that. He is formidable as, as an adversary. So it must be that you need someone greater than him to fight for you, okay? And then trust in the power of God. So now when I submit whatever my request is or whatever, Lord, I need wisdom, that now I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to do it. Like there's just a solid, be resolute in that decision and watch what God does. And then lastly of that, like we said, relies on the promises of God. Man, there needs to be things that give you hope that yet have not played out, but you're just like, I can't wait till this happens. And for us, it's the rapture. Can't wait. Let's go. Right? See, we have seen how the Lord has been victorious in Hannah's life through simply trusting God. And as her conflict comes to an end, we must now examine our second conflict between the religious rulers and Samuel. So now let's, let, let's examine what's happening in Shiloh with Eli, Eli and his sons. We'll pick it up here in verse 12 through 17. <clears throat> it says here, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. That is not a good way to start. Um, <laughs> you know, just right out the gate, just for, in case you were wondering. Verse 13, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. Now, don't be confused there. We're talking about a fork. <laughs> okay, it just described a very, you know, King James way of saying a fork. Um, and so then it goes on to say, uh, let's see, where are we at? Verse 14. And he struck into he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, well, that it's kind of tipping its hat in a particular way. The priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of the barah. Now, this sodden flesh would be like boiled, so you think like a pot roast kind of situation, okay? And so he's just saying, for he will not have sodden flesh of the barah. That's a problem. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently and then take as much as I so desire, then he would answer him, this servant of the Lord on behalf of the priest would say, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. And this is the fallout of that. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord, y'all. This is terrible. So what's happening here? Very simply, Eli's sons are misrepresenting the priesthood by not following what God had commanded concerning the priest and his sons. 
And the thing is, you have to kind of ask yourself a question. It's always good sometimes to just pose questions as you're reading through scriptures. What does this say about the priest? Because these are his sons that are carrying this out. But there is a priest that's over them. Eli, as the priest, is responsible for how his sons conduct offerings made to God. And then the next thing is we'd have to ask ourselves, well, what effect is this having? Well, people are beginning to despise the offering of God. And then lastly, we would probably just need to ask of this passage, what needs to happen now that we know the effect? And so the things that, you know, I always kind of want to make sure that you kind of have a, a good picture. What is this a picture of first and foremost? One, as we mentioned, this is the failure of the priesthood. The failure of Eli in particular, okay, and just in relationship to the sins of the priesthood at this time, this is something that the Lord is using this uh, cabinet of, of men to draw all of Israel to God, and the opposite is happening, okay? So now you know what this is, unfortunately, is a picture of the church of Laodicea. In Revelations 1 and, and 3, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 3, you will find letters written to seven churches. And each of these church, churches represents a church age. The Laodicean church age starts in the early 1900s and really probably just a touch before that, like kind of at the end between like 1875 and 1900 to the rapture. And what's particularly interesting is what the Bible says about this age that we are in, because that would be the age that we're in right now. OK, so let's let's see what it says in Revelations 3, 14 through 19. It says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And here it goes. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You understand that? This is difficult because on one level, there's this thing that's like, no, we got it together. And the Lord's like, no, you don't. There's a lack of humility, there's a lack of desperation. He goes on to say, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. There's two things at the end, really, that are really important. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So now let's go back and, and look at Eli in relationship to that picture of the Laodicean church. Eli was ineffective high priest, and his poor parenting represents this weak spiritual state of Israel. Though Eli has a heart for godly things, we see that in terms of how he responded to Hannah, not initially, but afterwards, he did respond right. And you will even see later on a blessing that he's going to give. So there is an ability to recognize godly things. And remember, God said that of the Laodicean church, cold or hot. It's like, you can recognize, but then you also like to straddle the fence. And that makes me want to throw up. Eli in a similar boat. 
his heart for godly things, he's a weak, permissive, and lazy leader. <clears throat> Eli would be defined by doing nothing hot nor cold. In other words, Eli desired spiritual blessing, but never committed himself fully to faith and holiness. Man, and isn't that something that we kind of wrestle with in this church age that we're in? We have all, I think we're probably the most equipped group of all the churches. Like, I mean, you know, I got thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of knowledge on my phone. You know what I'm saying? Like when you think about the gravity of what, like just having Strong's, if, you, if you've ever seen the actual copy of the Strong's, my grandmother bought that for me when I first started going to KCBT. That thing is like a family Bible. I mean, it rivals it inside. It's huge. It's, it's on your phone. Treasure of Scripture knowledge, it's on your phone. The Holy Bible that people had to sneak and get out, people were dying over as they were handing out. It's on your phone. And we were kind of like, well, Lord, thanks. What else you got? Juggle for me. And so, man, with that in mind, we got to look at something. I got a simple outline for you, okay, for this grouping here. And what we need to look at, y'all, is Eli's sons. And really, in the background is Eli, because he's the dad here. Lazy leadership will produce some things. One of them is, verse 12, we're going to see ignorance about God. It will also produce abuse of God's people. We'll see that 13 through 16. And then 17, we're going to see damage to the testimony of God in others. And so listen, this is our chief concern. Don't miss this. I'm sorry I didn't put that on the slide for you. Don't miss this. Let me say it to you. How we lead has a great effect on what we produce. How we lead has a great effect on what we produce. Now, let me, let me get this to you. In addition to that, every generation could suffer greater from poor leadership. If I, if I am laissez-faire about how I lead and what I'm doing, I can't expect the coming up generations to all of a sudden get it together. Now, listen, God is incredible, and he absolutely is the redeemer, and he always has remnants, <laughs> you know? He likes to put, set people aside and go, yeah, no, you, you holding it down over here. I got you. I see you. So our hope is always in the Lord and not in our ability to do anything. But the one thing I don't want to do is be a part of the problem. This is what I'm saying, okay? Let's not be a part of the problem. We know God and all his power and his ability, but the one thing that Eli, bro, you, man, people are starting to abhor the offering of God. These are your sons. That's a problem. And we don't want to lead like that. Okay. So now let's, let's look at our text here. All right. So if we go back again, as I just read it here, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Now get this in Hosea, just so you can kind of get your head wrapped around this. 
Hosea 4, 6 through 7 says this, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast listened, forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. This is rough. Verse seven, as they were increased, those children, so they sinned against me. Therefore, will I change their glory into shame. And you know what? I just, if you think about it, there are kind of like generations mentioned in that. Just when I was looking at this, um, you got Eli would be generation one, two would be his sons. And then after that are those that are now abhor the offering of the Lord. You see how it's getting worse? Or now I don't even want to give offering to God at all. At least on the son's level, they have some truth. And so it's like they're kind of dancing around trying to straddle that fence. But man, this is dangerous ground for us to be on. See, I, the one thing that I think that we have to, and this is, you know, like we were talking about, even with LFBI men, and just Bible study, being here at church, all of that, is we absolutely have to own the fact that sometimes we reject God's knowledge. We just, I mean, we, can, we can kind of be like, I'm not doing that, Lord. I don't want to. Guys, we gotta, we have to be accountable to God's word. And this leads us to our first Key point. A failure to be accountable is a poor introduction to those that are looking for God through his people. A failure to be accountable. Man, listen, if I'm not accountable to God's word, then what am I communicating? If people don't see me and when I'm pressed the hardest, the most, get on my knees, and I'm begging God, and now I'm going to also find my comfort in his word, then what am I communicating? See, the thing is, is like, Eli, what kind of foundation did you lay, brother, that your sons thought it would be okay to stand in the position that they're in and be utterly offensive to God's people and to God himself? Guys, listen, Eli may not have taught them that specifically, but he taught them enough to think that that would be okay. See, I, the thing that, man, it just, it makes me think about just what we're doing in terms of discipleship. And that doesn't, listen, this doesn't mean that you got to be harder, but you don't want to be playing games. You just don't. Their lives are hanging in the balance and they absolutely need this truth. You got to hold people accountable to, to God's word and then you walk with them and you give them opportunity and you encourage them and you remind them of scripture and you say, hey, you, you probably want to hide that on your heart. And you just keep walking with them. And, you know, sometimes they, they start walking, they wander off like kids do in a store. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, come here. No, come over here. Come on. Hold my hand. Right. And you just walk with them. Eli, what happened? The first verse talking about your sons says <laughs> that they don't know the Lord. Why are they doing anything with the priest's office? This is terrible. We can't have this, guys. We can't have this. And then in the next area of this abuse of God's people that I want to look at 
is 13, 13 through 15. And I'll read it to you again, because now we need to understand what it is that we're looking at. So then it goes on. It tells us the heart of these cats. Now it's going on to tell us what they're doing with it. 13 through 15 or 16, it says, and the priest custom. Now, it's very interesting. <laughs> it says the priest custom. It don't say what the Lord said. This is what they have come up to do. Okay? Problem. And the priest custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with the flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the, free, the priest took for himself. So then they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as I soul desire, then he would answer him, nay, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. So what's the custom here? Their custom is when a sacrifice is made, his servant would come while the flesh was boiling from cooking and he would take a fork and whatever was on the fork he took for himself. And also before they burned the fat, which belonged to the Lord, by the way, the servant would say to whoever is offering the sac sacrifice, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh with thee, but raw. If any of those that were offering up sacrifice would protest and remind them to take whatever was for the priest after the fat was burned, then the servant would demand the sacrifice or threaten to take it all by force. That's their custom. So I listen, I, man, we don't have time today because that's not the, the focus of this, but I do have some scripture references I want you guys to look at. So that way you will see what is the actual thing that they, the ordinance that they should have been doing. Of course, you know how the Lord is. He defines it very well over and over. Now, as you guys are getting those, let me just mention to you in a very simple, concise way. Matthew Henry puts it this way. Eli's sons, two offenses are this. One, they robbed the offerers and saw to their own needs. And then two, they stepped in before God. See, it's a dangerous thing for them. And this is, again, why, you know, so the Lord is highlighting this. This is like how they roll. The fat is supposed to be burned before anything that the priest was going to get. And actually, before then, they're supposed to take a handful of oil and frankincense and uh, flour and then put that on the altar, burn that, because that's like a sweet savor to the Lord. And then after that, <laughs> okay, the meat should be cooked. One, you notice that he said, I want it raw. Yeah, no, the Lord's not okay with that either. So there's all of these details that these cats, these little details, and this is the thing. See, this is when poor leadership does that. Sometimes the little details we just kind of ignore. It's okay. Yeah, it's all right. It's fine. We'll... We have to be careful, okay? We just... So our second key point is this. These cats concerning this and why... When we're talking about lazy leadership, now, don't miss this. A self-centered focus will always be too narrow of a view to see others. A self-centered focus will always be too narrow of a view to see others. Those guys are mistreating that office solely because why? Well, they like cooked meat. <laughs> they want to eat. 
the Lord's provision, when you look for Aaron and his sons, of course, which is, you know, the priesthood, is fantastic. Actually, they will be quite wealthy. They're always eating because these offerings are happening, you know, in some cases, day and night. So now you're going to bully God's people into, what are you doing? Like, man, this is God's people. And this is what happens sometimes in leadership is like the authority that you have is reckless. And what you can kind of do sometimes is just, you know, well, you're just, you're going to have your way with God's people however you see fit. No, man, you better be careful. These are the Lord's kids. You wouldn't let that happen in your own home. Romans 16, 17, and 18 says this. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I don't even think these two jokers have good words or fair speeches. They just are like, uh, we out here. And ain't nobody going to stop us because our dad in this area is the high priest. Careful. First Peter 5, 1 through 3, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Listen, growing leaders and leaders, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, if in case you forgot, but being in samples to the flock. Now you see why this type of leadership is dangerous, man. It's dangerous. Listen, we don't, as, as growing leaders in this place, we cannot have this kind of view that's just about your own comeuppance or how you're doing. You have to have a viewpoint that has everybody else in mind. How are they doing? Is what, how, is what I'm doing or saying communicating God's glory or my own glory? And so, Now let's look at, um, let's look at this. I have, wait a minute. I have a little <laughs> thing here. Uh, maybe I intended to delete that. I think I did. Uh, that one, yep, no. <laughs> okay, so verse 6, 17, 17. Let's look at that. Okay, now. Well, verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. And now get this, listen to this in Malachi. I mean, I, you can see what's happening. These guys are taking advantage of the influence that they have by way of their father. The Lord provided provision for the priest's sons, and these guys are abusing it horribly, right? Okay, so now... Let's look at in 17 again, like I said, wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now get this in Malachi, crushing. Malachi 2, 7 through 10, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But 
you are departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as you have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Have not we all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? That is probably just one of the great details of scripture that just talks about what this looks like. See, um, I know this morning, <laughs> this is not necessarily like the um, happy, happy, joy, joy <laughs> type message. But I think also because we, this is the layout of saying church age, we have a tendency to play games with God's work. And we can kind of be nonchalant about it. And we can kind of just approach it like, ah, you know, I'm in, yeah, whatever. The Lord's fine with it, it's good. And so you have this grace that absolutely exists and that God has for you. But the thing is that the Lord is wanting what you do to have an eternal impact. And it was interesting in, in, in discipleship yesterday, Brother Justin said, it still does, even if it's negative. It still has. He's right. What if somebody, now have you ever thought about this? What if somebody does make it to hell because of you? It's their choice, right? Ultimately, it's their choice. But when faced with you being a speed bump, you just, they just roll right over you. And so, Ben, listen, the thing is, is that just in a careful way, obviously, we understand no man will be able to blame another man before the Lord. But I, again, I don't want to be a part of the problem. If the Lord has given me his word, his spirit, his people, what am I going to do with that? I am the most equipped group ever. We, man, this, it's affecting heaven and earth. When you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it moves everything. When people get saved, guys, you just pull them out of the clutches of hell. Your invitations matter. What if nobody invites them ever? But you did. This is why we don't want to be playing around with this. What if you get an opportunity to disciple? What are you going to do with that? It's the kind of impact, man, that can change lives. Prior to me being disciple, I had no clue of any of this stuff, and I had been in church my whole life. I, man, I was sitting there every lesson getting like my, like I was drinking from a five-gallon bucket, you know, just like, I, yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to enjoy it, but I, it's so much. And the Lord was like, hey, son, patience. It changed my whole life just because somebody invested the word of God in my life. So this is what I'm saying. You don't want to not opt out, just opt out of from fear of like, oh, I'm out. But you also, if you're going to jump in, man, then be in. Like be all in. Both feet. Not hokey pokey. You know, I kind of want to finish the rest of it. <laughs> Because that's not what it's all about. <laughs> right? So, man, I, 
we have to look at this. This is sobering. God put it in here for a reason because these cats are acting up. And so here's our final key point. Disobedience is a dangerous curriculum with not only students, but also graduates. Disobedience is a dangerous curriculum with not only students, but also graduates. Romans 14 and 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And so, man, I, you know, I wanted to break you out, but with the time, I'm just going to let you go out because, again, I understand this is a sober message. And it's, and I pray that it will dictate how you move going forward, that we just are done playing as a class. Let's be together. Let's be together as a flock, though. You know what I'm saying? Same direction, same focus, same heart. And we hold each other up. We pray for one another. Man, we be there. We got some hard stuff we're going through. Let's, let's do it together. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's be about the Lord's business together. I got two questions I want you to write down. I want you to ask yourself, what did you learn today? What did you learn today? And listen, here's the application. What impact will it have in my life moving forward? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray that you are just be with us as we just consider. And Lord, uh, thank you just for highlighting uh, Eli's son's example. Um, Father, I pray that none of us would do these things. And, uh, and if we have been guilty of it, Lord, I, uh, Lord, forgive us. Lord, Lord, help us to see the sheer gravity that is uh, the ministry of reconciliation. And Father, Lord, I'm, I'm begging you, would you give us fruit? Not so we can brag about it, not so that we can pat ourselves on the, on the, on the back, but just because we want, we want to be obedient to what it is you have called us to do. And so, Father, that means we need fruit for our babies at home. We need fruit for those that are our children spiritually. And so, Father, would you just help us, give us wisdom on how to move forward? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.